Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Dead to Rights, the podcast. I'm your host, Donna Carrick. It's been nearly a year since we started this project, and here we are at the 47th of 52 weekly episodes. Each week, we reach out to an author and ask them to share with us their interest in the work, their motivations, and any tips they have related to the art and the industry. Today, we'll be speaking with Karen Catcher about her new book, River Bodies. You won't want to miss today's interview. Karen treated us to some terrific insights. Our short story today will be The Legend of the Corkscrew Swamp by Dana Lee Chaser, which appeared in EFD1, Starship Goodwords, Carrick Publishing, 2012. Before we dive into today's interview, on behalf of Alec and our family, I want to send our love and best wishes to the people of California who suffered the loss of loved ones and tremendous property damage, in many cases seeing their life's work completely destroyed by the fires that have raged throughout November. As the weather changes and firefighters begin to regain control of the situation, 249 people remain unaccounted for as of this moment, and the death toll is now in the 80s, with 1.7 million acres wiped out. Meanwhile, as our American friends celebrated a week of Thanksgiving, and as the leader of the free world tweeted about the cold weather, his own scientists have released a dire warning, a red alert really, that climate change is here, it is now, and it is real. Its effects are already woven into our daily lives and will become increasingly devastating to our economic and social structures if allowed to proceed unchecked. Our thoughts and prayers will not be enough. That much is clear. There is going to be action needed in this situation. For our Dead to Rights review today, I want to share some listening love. For some time now, I've been enjoying a podcast titled Case File. If you're a lover of true crime genre, you won't want to miss out on this one. Exceedingly well presented by the anonymous host... This weekly treasure features true cases that span the decades. This one is on my subscription list, and I never miss an episode. Hope you'll check it out, and don't forget who sent you. And now, let's give a huge Dead to Rights welcome to Karen Catcher, author of River Bodies, The Sisters of Blue Mountain, and The Secrets of Lake Road. Karen is an award-winning suspense novelist with a Bachelor of Science in Criminal Justice and a Master's in Education. She lives in eastern Pennsylvania with her husband and two children. Hello? Good morning. Is this Karen Catcher? Good morning, Karen. It's Donna Carrick. Welcome to Dead to Rights. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. The first thing I want to talk to you about this morning is you've got a new book out called River Bodies. Can you tell us when was that released? Um, it will, it's going to be released November 1st. November 1st. Okay, that's perfect. Um, will it be available for pre-order? 
Yes, it's uh, available now for pre-order. Very good. Now, I've been looking um, about it online. It looks really good. It says it's a dark, gripping mystery with a brutal murder that unearths old secrets that should stay buried. Can you tell us a little bit about your protagonist? Um, who does this story star? Um, well, I, I write in a multiple points of view, but I would say the main character is um, Becca Kingsley. She is a 30-year-old veterinarian, and um, her father is the retired police chief of the small town. And the town is Portland, Pennsylvania, is that right? Correct. It's oh. a small town right along the Delaware River. Okay. And the current crime is similar to an earlier case. Can you tell us a little bit about them that, that are similar, about the two crimes? Sure. Um, when uh, Becca was 10 years old, um, uh, a body uh, washed up on, on shore on the, in the Delaware River, and um, the killings in... Twenty years later, a second body comes up on shore, and the killings are the same. Um, I guess you could say um, the way the bodies were killed, um, they were both gutted like uh, you would field dress a deer. Okay, okay. That's that's pretty cruel, pretty brutal. Um, is, this, yeah. is this a series? Is it part of the earlier two books? Um, this is the first book in the series. Okay, so this yeah, will be a new series, yeah, Northampton County yeah. series, book one. Okay, I see. Um, tell us a little bit about your earlier works, because they looked really fascinating as well. I was looking at those. Oh, sure. Um, my, my debut novel was set uh, at a lake in the Poconos, and that was about um, a, a disappearance of a small child um, on a community beach. And um, while they're searching for her in the lake, they unearth uh, bones of another body, another drowning that occurred, again, mm -hmm. earlier. Okay. Um, I, I think uh, The Secrets of Lake Road is, um, the main character is 12 years old. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's coming of age. It's also told in uh, multiple point of view. Mm -hmm. um, so you get, uh, you know, her parents, and, and um, I, think there's, I, I think there's five points of view in that story. Okay. <laughs> um. But yeah, so um, I guess my early, my two standalones were marketed as um, a cross between mystery, suspense, and women's fiction. Mm -hmm. I was just reading here in your bio that you're an award-winning suspense novelist with a Bachelor of Science in Criminal Justice, so you sound like a lady after my own heart. Now, you're writing in multiple points of view, which is a fascinating way to read. What are the challenges that are associated with writing in multiple points of view? Um, uh, you have to know each character really well. Mm -hmm. um, usually, you know, writing in one or two, you just need to really dig deep for one character. Um, but I find that when you're writing in multiple points of view, um, it takes me a little bit longer because I have to understand each character, and they all have to be different in some way. They can't all mm -hmm. sound alike. They can't all be just obviously different voices of the author. I mean, it is said, and I think there's some truth to it, that every character we write is a voice that comes from within. But um, they can't be obvious. I mean, because people are unique and they have different perspectives, and your reader will pick up on that right away, won't they? Right, right. And, that, and that's really the challenge, is to make sure that they are their own character. 
I would think another challenge, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, Karen, is um, to make sure for from the reader's point of view that it reads smoothly in the transitions, because that is one of the frustrations as a reader in reading multiple points of view. I love personally reading multiple points of view. I find it keeps me yeah. interested throughout. But um, for some people, I know it's always a challenge making the transition. How, how do you manage that? Um, you know what? I've only ever written in multiple point of view. So for me, it comes a little bit organically. Mm-hmm. But I notice I can tell when I'm after, the, uh, you know, I've been through a couple drafts. I can feel where something isn't right. I don't know how to explain that. It's, um, it's just a feeling that I get. When there's not so a clarity in the transition. Something was too bumpy. It needs to be smoothed out. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe another scene put in there or um, something taken out. Mm-hmm. Because the writers who are masters in this, and, and um, you know, I'm thinking of things like The Girl on the Train, that was just a brilliant book. Um, you yeah. know within the first line in a chapter who's speaking without a clunky introduction of the speaker. You know, you know right away who the narrator is just by something in their, in their diction, in their cadence, you know, there's something there that gives it away. So it makes it easy for the reader to know who they're reading at any given point. Right. Yeah. Um, so, so anyways, you've got uh, River Body and what are the other two titles, the earlier two titles and when did they come out? Uh, my debut was The Secrets of Lake Road that um, published in August 2015. And then uh, the second book, The Sisters of Blue Mountain, published in April 2017. Those are great titles. Um, tell us a little bit about The Secrets of uh, was it the Secrets of Blue Mountain, did you say? The Sisters of Blue Mountain. The Sisters of Blue Mountain. I'm getting my secrets and my sisters mixed up. Sorry about that. That's it was okay. The Secrets of Lake Road, which you already talked a little bit about, but The Sisters of Blue Mountain. Tell us a little bit about that one. Okay, that one, um, again, it was set in uh, another small town. I, I tend to set all of my novels in um, the small towns in the area where I grew up, in uh, mostly Northampton County, which actually is the name of the series for Riverbody. Mm-hmm. But... Um, in the Sisters of Blue Mountain, um, it was set, uh, there was a bed and breakfast set along um, a dam where um, tourists would come to see the snow geese migration mm-hmm. every um, late spring or early spring. Mm-hmm. And the sisters lived in the bed and breakfast. The Canadian and, geese, um, right? I'm sorry? The Canadian geese. The Canadian geese, the Canadian snow geese, yes. Yes. They would, they would, tourists would come to see the migration, and the book opens um, when uh, they, the morning, they wake up, and there's um, over 100 geese, dead geese, in the dam. Ooh. Yeah, and um, uh, an ornithology professor comes, and um, he ends up, uh, they find his body um, in their yard at the bed and breakfast. So it is, it is about sisters and family and secrets, and again, how that murder ties to um, another incident that happened not far from the bed and breakfast. Okay, so you're tying these crimes together, which is always a fun thing to do as an author. And I think readers really appreciate that too. I want to encourage readers to go to your website, which is karencatcher.com. And uh, look at your covers because I'm looking at them right now and they are just stunning covers and they're great titles. We've got River Bodies, 
the Sisters of Blue Mountain, and The Secrets of Lake Road. And these are all just fascinating looking books. I think if readers go to your website, they're going to want to purchase them. Um, and just for readers, it's Karen, K-A-R-E-N, Catcher, K-A-T-C-H-U-R, dot com. And uh, you'll be surprised. Now, what brought you to the road of writing, Karen? Because you've got quite a diverse background. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know I, I wanted to be a writer. Um, it came to me later in life. I, I always tell people that I always thought that everybody told stories in their head. It never occurred to me that this was unusual. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I should write. But, um, yeah, no, I, I, I stumbled upon it. I've always been an avid reader, always reading. Um, I took in, in college when I went for my criminal justice degree. One reason I was pulled towards criminal justice was that I loved reading case law. Mm-hmm. Um, Stories to me, I was fascinated by it, and I was fascinated by forensics, although um, it is, so much in forensics has changed mm-hmm. since I was in older, so it's yeah. hard to keep up with all the technology. Yes. But, um, yeah, I was home, and I was watching um, Oprah's Book Club, mm-hmm. and I, re- <laughs> I was home with two, two small children at the time, and um, I remember the audience, I remember what book, it was uh, While I Was Gone by Sue Miller, mm-hmm. he um, a literary author, but um, there was a murder in that book, and um, I read it, and I was fascinated by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the audience was just so angry at the protagonist in that novel, and the other half of the audience understood the protagonist. And I'm sitting there watching them fight over this fictional character, mm-hmm. and I, I just sat there, and I was like, you know what? I want to do that. <laughs> I want to write stories like, and, but- and that was really. A, just spark something in me. Stories that make people think and make people talk and make people discuss and, and come at it from different points of view based on who they as readers are. And um, it's it's funny that you talk about your route to writing because every writer that I've talked to was an avid reader, at least at some point in their life, and, and just loved the stories. And um, in particular, my crime writer friends, because that's my my niche is crime, they all yeah. come at it from the same thing. I mean, and you saying that you love to read case law, geez, that sounds like me. How nerdy can you get, really, Karen? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's really very telling, you know. Um, now, uh, speaking of telling, tell me about what's going to follow River Bodies, because this is the first in a series. It is. Um, the second book um, in the Northampton County series, um, right now it's tentatively called Cold Bones. I actually have to turn it in in a couple weeks here. And um, that one, this one is about um, the same detective in River Bodies, mm-hmm. uh, Parker. He's coming back in Cold Bones, and he's gaining a partner in this one. Okay. And um, this one I wanted to look at, um, there are so many novels coming out, which is awesome about um women and um their their characters are i guess it's the psychological thriller part of it their characters are um angry maybe psychotic uh, and i love that um the, showing the different sides of female characters not just always the victim mm-hmm. but i wanted to write something where you show the female characters and their strength and coming together and helping each other. Yes. Because I think that's what women are so great in doing. Yes. So this 
the cold bones, is, you're going to see six women, three mothers and their three daughters. That sounds really and, good. That's got um, shades. That's got shades of the Joy Luck Club. I, I really like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I did think of that and I thought of Yaya Sisterhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also thought of Stephen King's, um, it was called Stand By Me, the movie, but the, but, um, the, the novella that he wrote for that was The Body. Mm-hmm. Um, those young boys and their friendship. Yes. I, I like that idea of these three girls and their friendship. So again, I'm going back. And the friendships that carry, and that holds a, a particular nostalgia for me because I'm an Air Force brat, so I don't have those childhood friendships. Zero, nada. And I've always fantasized about them, and I've managed to, to reconnect with a couple of people that I knew when I was very young, but... Um, it's not the same as growing up with people, seeing them summer to summer, you know, and, and I'm always drawn to those stories. The other thing that you hit upon there is um, I love to ra- I love fiction to be a wrapping of the truth in, in uh, layers of fiction. Uh, fiction should often come to the truth. And I love to read and write about women who can be bent, who can cr- commit crimes, but the fact of the matter is that still 95% of all violent crimes are still committed by men. And most yes. of those are committed against women they know or against right. children. And so if you're, if you're reaching for what's real in your fiction, you're often going to gravitate that way. And it, it does. It gets tired and it gets tedious. And women are capable of bad things too. We know this. But it's right. still there, and if you're trying to draw characters from women who have the smack of reality to them, there's so much more, and I'm glad to see somebody delving into that. Yes, and I just, um, what is so interesting that I never realized I have been doing, and um, even in my, the Cold Bones book that's coming out with these, with these women, um, I've never killed off a woman yet. Ah, thank you for that. <laughs> thank you for that. I'm saying the women aren't in some way um, victims of crime, mm-hmm. and and they were, but um, but yeah, I've been killing off men, which is kind of a twist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, pattern will continue because um, actually it probably won't because I'm already kicking around an idea for my for the third in the series. But, um, yeah, so far, but, but I love the idea. And, you know, with cold bones, um, do you know the saying, you're, a good friend will call a lawyer, a best friend will bring their shovel and help you bury the body yes. or whatever that saying? Yes. That's kind of what I'm going off of. <laughs> yeah. And the women. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. How you divide that line, who really are the people you can rely on. And um, it's an important, it's an important factor of life for almost everyone. Who can you rely on when push comes to shove, especially as we become an aging population? Because, you know, for the, the upper tier, which thank God I'm not quite there yet, they're losing their friends through through nature. And who can you rely right. on when when those networks start to fall apart? Who's left, you know? And uh, hopefully for most of us, that's where family kicks in, but it's not always the case. There are a lot right. of people who can't rely on family. You're right. And then, and, and that's kind of um, a little, you just touched on the theme there, that, that uh, sometimes friends are your family. Exactly, exactly. Sometimes the family of our choosing. And uh, I've always said to my kids, there's a million and one ways to make a family. And... Um, 
You know, especially these days, we, we look around the world and we see all the diversity within family structures. And um, there's so many ways to make a family. And the people that you love, they are your family regardless. Right. I agree. Yeah. Well, that's it's really interesting to hear you talk about those earlier books. I do want to get back to River Body because that's your new book coming out. Um, yes. When will you be launching it? And uh, do you have any information on where yet or is it still too early? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I didn't. Um, sadly, um, normally I launched um, all my books here at uh, my independent bookseller, mm-hmm. uh, Moravian, but um, they have since changed hands. And oh. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's really sad because they were the longest operating independent bookstore in the United States. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I don't know where they stand. And we're seeing this everywhere. I mean, we've got a beautiful indie bookstore in Toronto called uh, The Sleuth of Baker Street. And it's been in the same hands, and they're extremely supportive of Canadian crime writers. And we've done all of our launches at The Sleuth of Baker Street. And if they, I don't even want to jinx them by, by, you know investigating the right. thought that they might someday not be there. But I guess you're going to have to see this as a chance to get to know the new owners and, and get right out there and try and plant your flag. They're, um, the college bought it. Oh. Um, yes, I don't, they're not going to, I don't, I, I feel like the rug has been pulled out from under me because I don't know, I don't know how, what's going to happen now with the launch. I still have a few weeks to figure it out. Okay. But um, it was just, uh, it happened Quickly, no one saw it coming. Well, Karen, when you know where and when, please yeah. either email me or have yeah, Ashley email me, yeah. and I'll, I'll make an announcement to our listeners um, of when and where. And I'm assuming it'll be in Pennsylvania. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Okay. Good. So you send me the details, or have Ashley send me the details, and I'll make an announcement. Okay. okay. Yeah, that would be really terrific. And thank you very much for joining us this morning on the podcast, Karen. It's really been fun talking to you. Do you have any last uh, advice you could give to writers who are looking to... And actually, there was something that I did want to ask you, if you don't mind. I'm going around in circles a little bit here. But I had intended to ask you, what is the biggest challenge that you see in the book industry right now, either as a writer or as a marketer, or from any angle that you see? What is the biggest challenge right at the moment? Oh, boy. Um... Probably, um, I, I guess every writer says it's marketing. Yes, <laughs> every writer does. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's always going to be a challenge. Um, but yeah, I think um, you really need your, your publisher support. Yes, yes. And I think that you need the support of the people in your network too, your family support. Um, because really, when you're a writer, you're a bit of an absentee parent. You're a bit of an absentee spouse, aren't you? Um, a little bit, yeah. I, I've trained myself to work around uh, my kids' schedule. Yes. Um, and I love, the, uh, I call it the interruptible writer. Mm-hmm. Um, writing since they've been young, I'm, I'm used to stopping and starting. Yes. And just writing on everybody else because um, I'm the primary caregiver. My husband. One of us has to have a full-time full job. <laughs> As all writers know. I know. In our but family, yeah. we both had full-time jobs, and we still do, in fact. We're still both working, and that's yeah. why I do these interviews on the weekend. Um, 
But, uh, and we had the three kids, and I would write on Saturday and Sunday mornings between eight and noon at the dining room table at the cottage with the kids running in and out looking for popsicles, you know. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't record an interview that way, but you could write that way if you train your mind just to kind of shut things out or only see them peripherally, you know. So, yep. so you absolutely. And I think, yeah, so there's, you know, I, I, everybody dreams of being able to go away for a week, couple weeks, you know, and just working on your stories and stuff. But mm -hmm. in, in actuality, that's realistic. Yeah, I know. It just doesn't work in real life for most of us. I'm, I'm sure there are some, yeah. but for most of us, that just doesn't work. So we do what we can when we can, and we stay with it, and we persevere somehow, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. can't give up. Yeah, that's, and that's going to be your advice for writers today is to never give up. <laughs> I just put those words in your mouth. <laughs> but seriously, maybe you had some other advice. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm not going to speak for you, really. <laughs> oh, my. No, Karen, it's been a real pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you so much. I want to thank Karen Catcher for joining us today on Dead to Rights. And now I'm delighted to bring you this week's story, The Legend of the Corkscrew Swamp by Dana Lee Chaser. On February 1st, 2003, I deposited a nice bonus check and took a leave of absence from the real estate firm in New York City where I'd had an exceptional year as a broker associate. Now it was family time. My wife and I packed our five kids into our Lexus and made for warm and sunny Florida. We spent two weeks working our way down the East Coast. After the Jacksonville-St. Augustine area, our next stop was the Daytona 500, where on February 16th, Michael Waltrip won the race. The next stop was Orlando and Disney World. Next, we went to SeaWorld, which I thought was great, and the Space Center, even better, then visited family in the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area. One day, we stood on Smathers Beach, near the western end of Route A1A on Key West, looking out over the vast expanse of ocean around us, the Gulf of Mexico to the west and the Atlantic Ocean to the east. Back on the mainland, we drove west across Alligator Alley, now the four-lane interstate with fences to keep the alligators off the road. The kids scanned the roadside canals, hoping to see some of the prehistoric creatures. I, on the other hand, a city boy all my life, became concerned about the total absence of civilization. We were crossing the Everglades, the Sea of Grass, Exits were few, and only one gas station convenience mart appeared during the two-hour drive. At the first Naples exit, I turned off the highway, eager for civilization again. We found a great hotel on the beach and watched the sun set into the Gulf of Mexico. Soon the soothing sounds of the waves slapping the beach lulled us to sleep. At first light, the kids were up and ready to go. We selected interesting brochures from a display in the lobby, including one for a place called the Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary, an Audubon Society property, inland and northeast of the city. 
Nearly an hour later, we stopped for gas. While I was filling up, a battered old pickup truck pulled in and parked in front of the convenience store, not far from where I stood. "'Excuse me, sir,' I called to the old man who emerged from the truck. "'Excuse me,' I repeated a bit louder. The old man turned and shuffled over, removing his cap and wiping his brow with his sleeve as he walked. His hair was gray and sparse, but his blue eyes were bright. Hi, I began, a little uncomfortable under his gaze. Um, how far is it to the corkscrew swamp sanctuary? I'm afraid I might have missed it. Nope, it's still a few miles that way on the left, he said. His gaze softened and he smiled. Something about him changed as he started to tell me a story. Hypnotized, I listened. The busy convenience store and gas pumps faded away as he spoke. His story wove a rich tapestry in my mind, his words painting vivid pictures, almost like memories. I was transported to another world. Billy Joel and his friends, Carlito and Rain, were bored. The summer break from school was almost over. Soon they'd be back in school with a different kind of boredom. Sitting on old tree stumps, the trio watched Rain's mother hang laundry on a line strung between two trees and propped up by forked sticks. The sounds of summer formed the framework of their thoughts in the summer heat. The pines sighed and palmetto fronds chattered in the occasional breeze. Billy Joe kicked his stump his sneakers making soft, rhythmic thuds on the dead wood. Carlito wiped sweat from his face with a big red handkerchief. Rain, the youngest, tossed her long black hair back over her shoulders. Billy Joe's mind wandered as he scanned the pines and palmetto landscape, hoping for inspiration. The trio considered everything within bicycle range to be their private domain. The matter of warning signs, locked gates, and even parental admonishments meant little to these young adventurers. Then, Billy Joe's eyes focused on a distant sign at the edge of the main road, the Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary. Yes, he breathed, the swamp. The coming night was now ripe with the promise of excitement and adventure. Billy Joe's friends looked at him, their eyes bright with anticipation. Carlito, a newcomer to the neighborhood, leaned closer, eyes wide. What is swamp? His accent made his question difficult to understand. Rain pondered a moment. Pantano, she translated. Carlito understood. Ah, Pantano, gracias. She continued. At the end of the road, there's a place called the Corkscrew Swamp. People pay to go there and look at plants and animals, birds mostly, but sometimes other stuff too, like gators. Billy Joe scoffed. It's no fun there in the daytime. My cousin told me it's really scary at night. He's been there. Lowering his voice and leaning closer to his friends, he glanced toward Rain's mother and challenged them. If we go there tonight, after dark, we'll see if he's right. Rain hushed the others. With her serious seminal wisdom, she noted, My mother has the ears of an eagle. If we do this, we must be very quiet. 
They nodded and resumed their bored stance. Billy Joe kicked the dead stump. Carlito wiped sweat from his face with his handkerchief, and Rain tossed her long hair back over her shoulders. After supper and chores, the three friends met again at the stumps. Feigning boredom again, they watched as the red sun dropped below the horizon. Then, melting into the evening shadows, they made their way down the dusty dirt road to the Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary entrance. The three friends didn't have mischief in mind, only the heart-pounding knowledge they would be someplace they shouldn't. Talking in subdued tones, they gained entry by climbing the gate and dropping to the ground inside. A full moon showed them the way. Daytime visitors to the Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary enter through a welcome center and walk along a path through tall pines and palmetto ground cover before stepping out onto a boardwalk and into another world. In the moonlight, the scene took on a life of its own. Instead of a wooden bridge-like structure, it became a gleaming silver path, straight at first, then winding around majestic cypress trees, old beyond years before disappearing into the dark strand. The bright moon reflected off the surface of the still shallow waters, illuminating the ripples created by frogs, bugs, and other creatures of the night. The adventure was at hand. The children, fearless in their youth, stepped out onto the boardwalk. They paused, then, laughing aloud, they took off at a run. Moments later, they stood where the boardwalk entered the dark cypress strand. Looking back, they saw the reflected moon and the pines beyond. Turning, they looked into the darkness ahead. What awaited them there? The three stood transfixed by the endless possibilities. Rain, the tiny Seminole brave, broke the spell with a toss of her head. Laughing, she poked her friends and set off into the darkness. Billy, Joe, and Carlito followed close behind her. What befell the trio on that fateful night will never be known. While it was undeniably dark and could be dangerous, whatever was inside the dark strand whisked them away without a trace. Billy Joe, Carlito, and Rain were never found. Friends and family spent agonizing weeks looking for them before the authorities finally called off the search. It is said that on still summer nights, when the moon is full, if you listen closely, you might hear Billy Joe, Carlito, and Rain laughing. The old man stopped talking. Without a word, he turned and shuffled into the store. I shook my head and blinked. The moonlit boardwalk faded away. The nocturnal quiet transformed to traffic noise. The primordial cypress strand became a busy convenience store parking lot. As awareness returned, I realized my wife and kids were clamoring for me to finish and get going. I put the nozzle back in the pump and collected the receipt. As I got into the car, I stopped, struck by a flash of insight. Was the old man Billy Joe? In the rearview mirror, I saw he had emerged from the store. I got out of the car to ask him, but his truck was pulling away. Jumping back into my car, I turned to follow him, but the truck had vanished.
Sighing, I turned toward Corkscrew Swamp. I wondered why he'd told me the story. Then I saw things as he saw them. Clearly, we weren't natives. So was this a legend perpetrated on unsuspecting tourists? If so, it never really happened, and the old man couldn't be Billy Joe. I smiled, chuckling to myself. The story stuck in my mind, though. It wasn't long before my wife and I were standing right where the children and the old man's story had stood that fateful night at the edge of the boardwalk. The daylight faded away. I saw the full moon reflecting on the water. In the distance, at the edge of the strand, I saw Billy Joe, Carlito, and Rain. My wife nudged me. Honey, come on. The kids are way ahead of us. The sun beat down, bright and warm. Blinking, I saw my kids right at the edge of the strand, where Billy Joe, Carlito, and Rain had stood. A shiver went down my spine. We hurried to catch up. Together we entered the cool, dim strand. We saw the wonders of this unique subtropical swamp and had a special treat. In one of the lettuce lakes there were alligators. Several were sunning themselves on small hammocks while others prowled the waters. With only their snouts and eyes breaking the surface of the water, they barely caused a wake as they moved with great stealth. I stood on the boardwalk, leaning on the rail, watching the ancient reptiles. One of the gators glided close to where I stood. In its eyes I could almost see back to when the earth was young, and gators, not so much different from the creature before me, searched for meals, perhaps here, in this place. We stared at each other for what seemed like an eternity. Then, without a sound, the gator submerged into the dark water. It disappeared, like Billy Joe, Carlito, and Rain. The afternoon we spent at the Corkscrew Swamp Sanctuary was the highlight of our vacation. Much to my surprise, the kids want to go back again. Some day we will. I'll never forget the old man and his tale of youth and adventure, even if it wasn't true. Or was it? Years later, I still think of the legend. Was it really just for tourists, or was it a true story? When I think about it, I get the same feeling I'd had at the gas pump. There was something otherworldly about the old man. The End And my thanks go out to Dana Lee Chaser for this fantastic story, The Legend of the Corkscrew Swamp. Are you a published author? Would you like to be profiled on Dead to Rights, the podcast? We're currently filling slots for 2019 for our weekly features. We'd love to hear from you at Carrick Publishing at rogers.com and be sure to say Dead to Rights interview in the subject line. Do you have a question for any of our featured authors regarding the book business? Do you have a theme or topic you'd like us to address? We love hearing from readers and writers alike. You can touch base with us at deadtorights.ca, on Facebook under Dead to Rights, or on Twitter at Dead to Rights Pod. Of course, you can always find me, Donna Carrick, on Facebook under my personal page or as Carrick Publishing. We're also tweetable at Donna underscore Carrick, 
at Alex underscore Carrick or at Carrick Pub. If you have any questions related to the book industry for any of our authors, don't hesitate to reach out through our online forums. Be sure to join us next week when we'll bring you our interview with Rosemary McCracken, author of the Pat Tierney Mystery Series, and we'll also treat you to our reading of her story, Antonia. All music for Dead to Rights, including our theme song, Eyes of Gold, has been composed and performed by Ted Carrick. You can find more of Ted's work on YouTube at Ted Carrick Music. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Let it rot.